0: Awesome, well, welcome, welcome this morning. Hope everybody is doing good this morning. You guys doing good? Spring break? Anybody going anywhere fun? Anybody going north to the mountains? Anybody going to the mountains? Maybe, yeah, a couple people, all right. Reason why I asked is, I don't know if you guys know, um, but stuff happens on mountains. Did you guys know that? It just does, I don't know why, You travel up north, you go to the mountains, and things just happen. Everybody, you know, so people don't like it when I say stuff from the stage. It's like, shouldn't work with the public forum, right? So I want everybody to say it with me. Everybody say, stuff happens on mountains. Yeah, that was good, good job. We got the youth in here, so we're gonna get a little more lively, I think, this morning, so. Um, Blame Gabe Wells, all right, when he gets back, so. Um, But stuff happens on mountains. Uh, Years ago, we used to live in Arizona. You guys have heard me talk about Arizona quite a bit. But we lived in a neighborhood where there was kind of mountainous streets and uh, one of the streets that we lived on had a pretty good slope on it, right? And uh, uh, I got the brilliant idea, somebody gave us uh, some rollerblades, right? And so somebody gave us some rollerblades. Uh, They were, one of them was like racing rollerblades, which I'd never heard of racing rollerblades before. I didn't know those existed. Um, But somebody gave me them and Ruthie, she used to skate when she was a kid. So I'm like, I'm sure she can rollerblade. We'll take her out. And uh, by the way, you guys might judge me for this story. So uh, I'm giving you a heads up, but it's okay. I'll judge you another day, but you can judge me today. But I decided let's go rollerblading and let's go check out this mountainous slope type street. So we took the car and we drove up to the top of this little slope, and um, like I said, it was pretty steep. And uh, I remember I I just thought, well, let's just go down it. Like, let's figure out, let's go down it. Like, let's not skate around, let's not waste any time, let's just go right over the hill. And so I didn't even really test to see if Ruthie was good at rollerblading, but. Anyways, I could tell pretty quick that I should probably stay close to her as we go down to this, down this hill, and you could tell every single, like, we kind of started to go to the left, and it almost turned into, like, a ski type of thing, where you're like, whoa, 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 she made that noise pretty much all the way down, you know, (laughs) whoa, whoa, got all the way to the bottom, and we made it. We did really good. She was really thankful for me taking her on that adventure. Um, And so I talked her back into... We obviously had to go back up to where the car was. So we walked back up to the car, and there's this little cul-de-sac that was up there, right? So I was like, well, we kind of already conquered the mountain, so let's just skate around on this cul-de-sac. I noticed there was this little bitty small slope, and um, she went to kind of like just skate, and I noticed when she hit it, have you guys ever seen the people when they lose full control? Like, like she literally skates out, kind of like parallel with the ground, arms waving like this, right? Then she leans back and puts her arm down to catch herself. Uh, like I said, she thanked me a lot for taking her on that trip of skating around. It went really good and she said, I can't wait till the next time we can go. Um, now, it didn't go uh, super well, um, but that's because stuff happens on mountains. Um, but the reason why it didn't go super well, you could blame me because I went crazy, but you, you wonder, like, there was this really steep grade of a street where she should have fell, right? Like, we should, have, we should have both fallen on this. But for some reason, she fell on this little bitty thing. It had to do with her reaction, okay? I wouldn't have told her that then but I'm telling it now. (laughs) It had to do with her reaction. Um, And I wanna read to you a story. Anybody ever heard of the Mount of Transfiguration? Right? Uh, Something I learned recently is that that is not actually called Mount of Transfiguration. (laughs) I thought that's what the mountain was called. Um, It's actually called, uh, there's two different mountains that it's called. It's either Tabor, they haven't really figured it out. It's either Tabor or Mount Hermon, okay? maybe Hermon, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, but uh, uh, I think the, Mount Hermon is 11, roughly 11,000 feet above sea level, and so I think, I wanna call it Mount Hermon, I think that's the mountain they were on because it's taller, and taller mountains are cooler. So we're gonna pretend that that's where they were at, was on Mount Hermon, um, so we, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read t- through uh, Matthew 17, um, and I want to break down each verse as we go, but I want to start in verse 1. Uh, it says, Matthew 17, 1, it says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, Jacob and John, so that's who's there, and hiked up on a high mountain to be alone. Then Jesus' appearance was dramatically altered. A radiant light as bright as the sun poured from his face, and his clothing became luminescent. Dazzling like lightning, he was transfigured before their very eyes. Okay, so verse two, it says that he was transfigured before their eyes. All right, so this word transfigured sounds real wild, right? Uh, In the Greek, it means "metamorphu," which also means transformed. So anytime you see the word transformed or transfigured, they're actually interchangeable. So Romans 12, it talks about transformed. That also means the same thing as transfigured. The word um, meta in the Greek means change after being with, if you break it down. And then "morphu" means changing form in keeping with the inner reality. Changing form and keeping with the inner reality. Uh, It's where we get the word metamorphosis. Everybody's heard that word, right? Um, And and most of the time you'll hear people say that, you know, uh, it's like when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. But Jesus didn't change into something else. Jesus showed who he really was for them and for us. He showed showed who he really was for them and for us. And I wanna go, um, this was the first time that Peter, Jacob, and John actually saw with their own eyes who Jesus actually was. This was a real revelation moment for them, where they saw this is Jesus. This is not just Jesus, but this is the Son of God. And so if we go back to verse 3 in Matthew, it says, then suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared, and they spoke with Jesus. Now, I believe that Moses and Elijah appeared because Jesus was the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Okay, Moses represents the law. Uh, Moses, you you guys remember Mount Sinai, it has, remember where he went up on Mount Sinai, there was this black cloud and he went up there um, and stuff happens on mountains, right? Everybody remembers that. And he brought down the 10 Commandments. Okay, Elijah, he represents the prophets, and he's known for Mount Carmel. Everybody knows that, right? Stuff happens on mountains there as well. And uh, Mount Carmel is where the Caramello Bar came from. Anybody knows the Caramello (laughs) Bar? And I have a serious question. Is it pronounced Caramel or caramel? Does anybody know? You know, like, it's kind of the age-old question. You guys are wondering. The youth are gonna talk about it for about an hour now. Um, But Elijah was known for standing up to Israel's northern kings. You guys remember this story? He he stood up to King Ahab and and Jezebel, and they had allowed priests to bring in the teachings of Baal and other gods into Israel, and Elijah was known for challenging the 450 priests and reestablishing God's laws and saving Israel. Right. So here you had Moses who brought the law and Elijah who brought back the law and Jesus who fulfilled it fulfilled the law. All three of those people are standing here and talking, and if you want, you can, I'm not going to take the time, but Luke actually explains what they were talking about, and they were discussing his death. They were discussing the fact that Jesus was going to die, and I think the reason they were discussing it was because Jesus was the fulfillment, and once that happened, all of those things happened at the same time, simultaneously. Back to Mount Hermon, uh, verse 4, I love this, it says, Peter blurted out, Lord, it's so wonderful that we're all here together. And if you want, I'll construct three shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. I love that it said, Peter blurted out, don't you guys? Like how many of you guys can relate to Peter? Anybody in here, <laughs> right? Anybody have like a blurt out? Yep, some of you guys are blurting out right now, so you know what I'm saying. But. Um, everyone loves to compare themselves to Peter, I think. And the reason why is because um, people are like, well, he's great because you know, he just says what he thinks. Like, he thinks what he says, says what he thinks. Everything's out in the open. It's just all out there. Um, he's probably considered the leader of the disciples other than Jesus, probably considered that. Um, but what most people don't realize about Peter is that he was the guy that made mountains out of molehills, right? And if you don't know what that saying means, it basically is somebody that makes a really big deal out of something small. It basically is somebody that exaggerates something that's minor and makes it into something that's way bigger. Majors on the minors and minors on the majors sometimes as well, right? And forgive me for going back to the story on the hill, but the reason why she fell was because she exaggerated the scenario, Right? She made a big deal out of something small. It was a smaller hill. And here Peter was having a revelation of who Jesus was and then decided to make some mole hills out of mountains, right? And if we're anything like Peter, which we all compared ourselves a second ago, it would be good to know what those overreactions looked like. Number one, I want to I do that. I want to go through... The different mole hills that I'm seeing here that he made in the mountains. The number one that I see is always having to do something for God, right? Always having to do something for God. Um, It says, "I'll construct. I'll construct three shrines." That's what verse four says. I'll construct three shrines. Um, This word shrine. Most people would think of like a golden pergola or something, right? That's what I think of in my head, is something big, a large structure. But actually, the, in other translations, it means fort, it means shelters, it means tents, it also means tabernacles. And Peter was saying, Jesus, can we build a fort? That's what he's saying. And these shrines or these forts, were more they were more like uh, made out of willows or brush, brush material, right? And it may have been during the time, it may have been like September, October, it may have been during the time that the Feast of the Tabernacles was going on, right? Which is a big celebration. They still do that today. And what they do is they, they build these little forts type things made out of these shrubs that represent the time that Israel was wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and they were making forts then. So it's, it's more of a remembrance. It's more of going back. And here Peter is saying, hey, let me build some of these things real quick. Let me build for one for you and one for you and one for you. And Peter often thought that Jesus would be impressed by his actions, right? Peter often thought that. If you can remember, Uh, When Jesus is discussing his death, he told all the disciples, look, I want you to know that everybody is going to, to deny me, right? Everybody. And Peter stands up and he said, Lord, I would never. No way. No way, Jose. He probably said, no way, Jose, right? And he stood up and said that. And then you want to know what Jesus did is he said, actually, Peter, you're going to do it three times before the rooster crows, Right? And then you you also think of, okay, so Judas betrayed Jesus, and they brought the Roman guards there to capture Jesus. And what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and chops the ear off of the soldier, okay? And you gotta know, when he chopped the ear off, he probably looked back at Jesus and was like, that was pretty good, right? (laughs) Like, you see that, like, I didn't kill him, but I got his ear, and it was his right, and it was was good, It it was a clean slice. You saw it, right? come on. The disciples, you know, they were like, yeah, good job, Peter. You did better than we would do, you know? And then Jesus comes over, he picks the ear up and then heals. And I guarantee he probably looked at Peter like, come on, man, like you're doing it again. Same thing. <laughs> Why do we feel like we, like we always want to impress God? Why do we always think that God wants something from us? It's kind of where we get that term progressive sanctification. Everybody's heard that term right? That you're sanctified by doing good things over and over. You're becoming more like Jesus. You're working your way to become more like him, to become more holy, right? That's that thought process. I actually believe, and forgive me for saying this, I'm going to create a word. If Clark were here, he'd be proud of me. Um, I call it progressive gracification, all right? progressive gracification. If you want to send me an email or a text later saying that's not a word, I understand it's not a word. I made it up. But see, Peter thought he was something else. Peter thought he was the disciple of disciples, right? And you know he did because he was constantly picked for things. Peter was constantly taking places and going places with Jesus and he was always with him. He knew Jesus personally on a different level than a lot of the other disciples, and he probably went around and said, it's not what you know, but it's who you know, (laughs) right? I know Jesus, right? And see, the reason why I bring up Peter about this is because grace isn't a, man, I got it. Like, grace isn't one of those things where it's like, man, I got salvation, I understood grace, and like, I just got it. Like, I don't know if you know, but I've known grace for a really long time, and you don't really know grace like I know grace. Grace is a forever getting it. It's a forever understanding. That's why we can talk about it every single Sunday here at Grace Church. It's as if we're having Easter all over again, right? I remember uh, our church uh, in Arizona that we helped to, to build with... Um, with our pastor out there, we worked with the youth the whole time, but I, I told you all the story where we came under grace, like we, under, we came to a new revelation, and here we found out, okay, we were like this faith church, right, Rhema background and all this stuff, and now we're this faith and grace, and man, we're teaching faith, and man, we're teaching grace, and man, we're teaching faith, and, I, and, and we thought that we had it, but there was a certain point that I realized, man, we're not really like treating people how... Jesus treated people. We're not looking at people. We're still looking at people as projects. We're still looking at people as we got things to work on with them. We're we're not living out this grace thing, even though we could teach it. It's a concept you can understand it, but there's something different about knowing grace and living grace out. I don't know, I don't know how to explain it other than that. There is something about not just knowing what it is, but living it out. Um, where's Alan? Alan's in here somewhere. There you are, Alan. Uh, Give it up for Alan, he ran a marathon this weekend. (laughs) If you guys wanna know about how to run marathons, talk to Alan, he runs them all the time. He's got plans on future marathons too. But Alan did a great job. We have a a class called Grace Applied. If you guys haven't been to it, we're gonna start it back up again. It was a great, awesome class. We had nine teachers in there, all from the congregation. But one of the sayings that he had in the class, I'm gonna steal his saying, it says, the single most difficult aspect of living out grace is literally and generously applying it to others, right? The single most difficult aspect of living out grace is literally and generously applying it to others. And that's why I say it's not just something that you get, it's something that you actually walk out and understand and you're constantly growing in this grace Thought process. Romans 12, two, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Right, I love that part right there. And can I tell you what the pattern of this world is? The pattern of this world is doing and 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 doing. And getting in this mode of doing things for God. It kind of translates. Like once we kind of know God, then we think, oh, well, I'm already in this pattern. Let me just go ahead and do and do and do and do and do. Right? And the will of God is that we'll renew our mind and we will be transfigured, transformed. And we will not continue to do and do and do and do and do to please God. Nothing wrong with doing things for God. I'm not taking that away. But that is the pattern of this world is doing and doing and doing right? And what's so crazy is in our doing, all of a sudden, we start to not only do a ton of things, but then we expect that from other people too. And we start saying, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing this. I'm doing this, but you could be doing this. That is the pattern of this world. Uh, Let's go back to Matthew 17, 4. It says, I'll construct three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The second molehill I see, is we have to keep or restore God's law. We have to keep or restore God's law. See, Peter was putting all three, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, on the same playing field, right? And he was a Jew. We're talking about this in staff. He was a Jew, and he understood the Jewish customs, right? But Jesus wasn't here to bring the law, but to fulfill the law. And I'm not saying the law isn't important right? I'm not saying that. It has its place and its purpose, but if you believe believers need to go back to the law, you are mistaken, right? I know I used a scripture a a few weeks ago, but it's Romans 520. It says the 10 commandments were given so that all could see the extent of their failure to obey God's law. But the more we see our sinfulness, the more we see God's abounding grace forgiving us. And that's where we should live, y'all. Verse 21, it says, before sin ruled over all men, before sin ruled over all men and brought them to death. But now God's kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God, and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you think you're doing God a favor by trying to restore the law, you're making a molehill out of a mountain. You're no better than Peter in this moment, who was not recognizing that Jesus is actually the most important person in the room, not Elijah and not Moses, right? Well, if we get away from God's commands, we will become nasty sinners, Right? That's what we think. But what's interesting about God's law is it's actually written on the inside of our heart. We're not getting away from the law. We're not running from the law. It's already written. We don't need to observe it and to look at it and to preach it. No, all we need to do is preach and observe more of who Jesus is. It's nonsense type of thinking. Matthew 17, 5, it says, But while Peter was still speaking, a bright, Radiant cloud, opposite than a dark cloud on Mount Sinai, but a bright, radiant cloud spread over them, enveloping them all. And God's voice suddenly spoke from a cloud saying, this is my dearly dearly loved son, the constant focus of my delight. Listen to him. Here, Peter's trying to build a fort for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and for years, I always thought it was God that correct, or I mean, I'm sorry, I thought it was Jesus that corrected Peter. I thought he was like, no, don't do that for me. You know, just, you know, let's not, let's not do that right now. Uh, but it was God. And, it, and, and basically what, he did, what God did in this moment is he redirected Peter and the other disciples towards Jesus. And he said, this is my beloved son. He is my focus. Stop thinking you know, Peter, and listen to him. He is the fulfillment. Matthew 17:6 through 9. We're going to go back to Matthew 17. It says the three disciples were dazed and terrified by this phenomenon, and they fell face down to the ground. But Jesus walked over and touched them, saying, "Get up and stop being afraid." When they finally opened their eyes and looked around, they saw no one else there but Jesus. And as they hiked down the mountain together, Jesus ordered them, don't tell anyone of the divine appearance you just witnessed. Wait until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The last molehill that was turned into a mountain is the third, third molehill. It's hiding from God. Hiding from God. Now I know that might sound kind of funny because it doesn't seem like it was really Peter's fault that they hid from God, but it was a reaction. It was a reaction and the reaction that that they thought that they're supposed to do right now is hide from God. They were to hide from Jesus. And I know that Peter was embarrassed about this because he talks about this scenario later. He talked about it and he doesn't even mention Hiding, he doesn't even mention hiding. Second Peter, 16, I love this. If you guys will read it with me, it says, "For we." If you can picture Peter, okay, he probably had an embarrassing moment that was recorded, and all the, all uh, the 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 gospels talk about it, or at least three of the gospels talk about it. But here Peter is saying, "For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto when we were made known unto." Um, you, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there was born such a voice to him by the majestic glory. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice we ourselves heard born out of heaven when we were with him in the holy mount. Right? Right? And so he's talking about this scenario that happened up here and he didn't mention that he was afraid, but he was afraid. He didn't say, well, I was like hiding my eyes and I was holding down because I was nervous about everything, he just talked about it as if it was this revelation. And Clark talked about this a little bit last week, but it's in 1 John four eighteen. this verse is awesome, it's in the Amplified, it says, there is no fear in love, dread does not exist but perfect and complete and full grown. Love dries out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. Right there, I love that. It says fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. If you are having an expectation of divine punishment, you are walking in fear you are living in fear. You want, if you are preaching that we need to have a divine or the expectation of divine punishment, you are telling other people to walk in fear. But it says, so the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love and has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. The one who's afraid of God's judgment They've not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. Knowing God's love prevents fear of God's punishment. If you still think that God's going to punish us, you are not walking or fully understanding God's love. I don't know if you guys have heard um, uh, a lot of uh, uh, people say this, about you know pastors and how we need to be afraid, but um, I love this, I'm stealing this from Steve Huber the way he said it, but um, there's a pastor whose name I won't mention, Josh Hodges from Highlands Church, okay. <laughs> I learned that trick from you, Steve. But it says, this is what he said. He said, God loves us for our potential. God loves us for who we're going to be, not who we are right now, but who we, who one day we will eventually grow into. And I couldn't disagree with that statement more. For God so loved the world. Like, what are you talking about? Isn't love the world for who they're gonna be one day? No, he just loves the world. He sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world might know him. He really, it, it, he just threw it out there. He didn't care. He didn't care what they're gonna become. I mean, he, he wants them to become son, children of, of God. He gave it all. No, God loves us right where we, where we are. He loves you before you even knew who he was. I hear Clark say last week, we love him because he first loved us. And, I, and I'll be, you know, we talk about, I, I love that Clark talked about the love of God, God's love. The week before, Rick talked about God is good, right? And here's what I can tell you about knowing God's love is that never really gets old. Like, I tell my kids all day long, I love you. You, I tell them probably five times each, I love you, right? I'm so proud of you. You're so beautiful. All those things, right? But can I tell you the one question that they continually ask us? Dad, do you still, do you love me? Mom, do you love me? And the reason why that is, is because they can never hear enough from me. And if, we're, if they're like that to me, how much more are we like that towards our heavenly Father? And there are only two places in the Bible where heaven split and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. One is 10,000 feet above sea level. The other one is down by the, the Jordan River, right? Where the Dead Sea is, which is the lowest place in the world. And so God opens the heavens in both places and said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. And you wanna know what? That's the same with us. It doesn't matter where we're at. If we're at the highest peak of the mountain in life or if we're at the lowest place that we've ever been in our life, God's love is the exact same in both places. And if it's like that towards him, it's like that towards us, amen? Amen. And you wanna know who's silent the whole time? I don't know if you guys realized, it was John. John was quiet. Peter was doing this. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, because he said that about himself, right? Peter made a big deal about what he could do. John kept his mouth shut, lived the longest on the earth. (laughs) Oh. When was the last time that grace challenged you? Can I say that? When was the last time you let grace challenge you? God's will is that you are forever transformed and transfigured by the revelation of who Jesus is. Second Corinthians 318, it says, we all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no, with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being trans, we are being transfigured. We are being transformed into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That doesn't mean doing something, but allowing the transfiguration to happen. Hey, don't think that you just got grace. Man, I got grace. Colossians 3, 2, this is the last verse. It says, yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural realm. I think if I can say anything out of this whole message, right, it's don't make a big deal about things that God isn't as concerned about. Make a big deal about things that God was concerned about. Okay, he wasn't as concerned about Mount Carmel and Mount Sinai. I'll tell you the, bit, the mountain that we need to be focused on is Mount Calvary, right? Mount Golgotha, where, where everything was fulfilled. It wasn't fulfilled with these other mountains. Those were mole hills. those are still mole hills. These are the things we may need to make a, a big deal about, what he has done and what he has finished, and that he fulfilled it all. Amen? Would you guys stand up with me? Father, I thank you, God, for each one that's here this morning, God. I thank you, God, that you help us to set our minds on the things above, God. Help us to set our our treasure and and our hearts on things that you're worried about and that you're concerned about, and not the things that we naturally tend to focus on, God. I thank you, God, that you have fulfilled it all. We honor you, we love you, we worship you this morning. Thank you, God, for who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen.